The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fan is always making the noise. They have leaf blowers out there. They got all sorts of business. Anyways, welcome to Teacher Quit Talk, where we're quitting and we're talking. I'm super excited because we're here with Naomi O'Brien. Did I say your name right? I've only read Naomi. It. Naomi, with a long A. Yes. Naomi <laughs> is one of the very few names on my baby name list for the baby I probably don't want. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> a good name. Yeah, that's a really good name. So we're super excited because I've obviously been following you since like before I was a teacher. Like I would stalk you, not like stalk you, but like follow you. No, I'm here. Yeah, no, we're here. She's like, we're actually in your backyard right now. Look outside. <laughs> Seriously. So what are you up to? Tell us your journey. Are you teaching next year? Because you were teaching this past year. Yes. I just finished year 11. Beating those statistics. Look yes. at you. <laughs> and I am sadly, but also super excitedly leaving the classroom for at least a year or two. And I'm excited about it. It's just, it's time. <laughs> and you have a lot going on. Like you have a teacher's pay teacher empire, I feel like. Yes. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Like that is grown to be a full-time job. Obviously raising kids, it's a full-time job. Just being a regular human and just being yourself can feel like a full-time job. That's really a conversation that needs to be had in society is about how much work it is to be a person. Like you have to go to the dentist, you have to go to FedEx sometimes, like you have to call the eye doctor, right. like the amount of admin work. Just be a good friend. Exactly. Just to be like a functioning human. So the fact that you're like, you're teaching, you're momming, your bedroom has a great backdrop. You got a teacher's pay teacher's empire. I was telling my husband the other day, I was like, I have too many friends, I think. And he was like, what is? What are you talking about? And I was like, by the time I get around to hanging with everyone, another like three weeks has passed and we got to do the cycle and you all over, start over again. again. Yeah, it takes my time. My old manager, who side note is like the best manager I've ever had, has a Google spreadsheet of all of her friends to make sure that she knows what's going on with them. Oh my God. She has like like reoccurring how she needs to check in on them. And she makes like little notes. Like she'll be like, oh, so-and-so is moving. So let me ask them how that went. Oh like, my goodness. That's what you gotta do. Friendship chores. Mm -hmm. So one, how did you get into teaching? Like what was your journey into the lovely land of education? I feel like I got tricked into it. So <laughs> I actually started college going to be a physical therapist in Florida. Gross, that's where I'm from. Um, but in Florida. I'm not from there, but I'm there right now. <laughs> I went to high school and college. The high schools were magnet high schools. So in middle school, school, you had to decide what you wanted to be for the rest of your life. Yep, I'm familiar. And you had to write an essay and you had to get into a Popco or Evans or here. So I thought I wanted to be a vet. So I went to the medical high school. But along the way, actually, the teachers were like, that's really unrealistic. Like this many people get into vet school every year and blah, 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 blah. So senior year, you had to go to all these different paths and try stuff out. So I tried out physical therapy and I loved it. But I'm like 17. So I go into college being like, I'm going to be
be a physical therapist. And my college job was working at a daycare for a private school. And they would like let me come in sometimes and sub, which is wild because I was just like a 20 year old with no teaching degree, but they would let me sub in kindergarten or first grade. That's like the prerequisite to be a sub. <laughs> like they're like, oh, you have a pulse? Come right on in. Right. Because I knew the kids from daycare. They were like, oh, Miss So-and-so is out. Will you just come teach her class? And I was like, this is really fun and easy and I'm good at it. Like, obviously I wasn't lesson planning or having to go to meetings or dealing with like the full scope of it. But I was like, I could really do this. I'm going to go change my major right now. And I did. That's so fun. <laughs> I cannot believe that we are asking children to choose their trajectory for the rest of their life. It's so high intensity. Yeah. I shouldn't laugh. I'm laughing because it's terrible, not because I'm laughing at the pain of children, but literally to watch because I taught at a um, Florida high school. So kids would like want to transfer to those magnet schools and stuff and having to watch like a 14 or 15 year old try and figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life based yeah. on like five categories. It's Even so at 18, sad. You're like, that's so young. When people would take a gap year and I'm like, that's wild. Why are they not going straight to college? I'm like, now I get it. Like who knows what they want to do? Now, like maybe take a gap decade. Yes. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe just wait it out. I took a gap year and I changed my major seven times. Granted, my first major was athletic training, but it was simply because when I was in high school, I got like a little gig as the athletic trainer assistant because I wanted to follow the soccer boys around for two years. <laughs> Incredible. And make a career out of it. <laughs> I was like, you know what? This is pretty like, cushy. What if being a groupie Hey, here we have in LA, there's magnet schools in kindergarten, like people would start applying their kids to the magnets because every year that you apply, you get like a credit or something. I don't really know the intricacies of it. Yeah, it's really intense. Yeah, I'm trying to figure all of that out now in LA and it's super weird. Yeah, and I should really know that. But I'm just like, you know what, that's between a parent and a child and none of my beeswax. <laughs> if you want me to fill out the magnet paperwork, I will do it for you. I just don't understand. But it's like, yeah to get on those kinds of trajectories right from the yeah. beginning. It's very interesting. So when you graduated college, you went straight into teaching? Yes. I got hired at the school that I did my last internship at. So then I just taught there for four years and then I moved to Denver and I taught another six years and then I just finished a year in California. You're like literally the pit bull of teaching. Like where haven't you been? I know. I'm worldwide. <laughs> so you taught in three states. Was it like wildly different in every state? Florida to Denver, no. LAUSD here in California was like oh my goodness it was culture shock I was just like what is this place like my friend was like if you told me your school was made out of cardboard I would believe you <laughs> I was just like, what is happening here? Like, why is like, why is this normal to everybody except for me? So Florida, Denver was fine. And then here was kind of like, there's just a lot. And I think it's because it's so big. So a lot of stuff just gets like lost or it's not executed very well. The inequity of LAUSD is something that I could actually talk about for three hours. Even though logically I know how the money gets distributed because it's property tax. I get so pissed. All they would have to do is sprinkle a little over here and over there and like make it work but they don't and I don't mm -hmm. know why well I do know they don't care <laughs> they don't give a fuck <laughs> I tried to join the parent teacher association at my son's school and it was like oh man at my school we don't have this and we don't have that and they fundraise buttloads of money oh my gosh it's 
in the shortest amount of time. And I'm like, oh, like maybe we could like spread the wealth. And they're like, ew, why? You know, like they're kind of like, well, what about our kids? And it's like, they have more than enough. The PTA politics is wild. My mom was like a head PTA mom. Like she was like running that bitch. And back in, this was like early 2000s. I went to elementary school in like a predominantly upper middle class area. Their PTA raised $120,000 in one year. And then they retiled the entire gym floor. And then another year, the PTA raised enough money to buy every teacher class sets of the textbooks because they were worried about the kids backpack weights giving them scoliosis or something so my mom then like was successful with it at my school all the teachers got class sets so we could just leave our books at home and then bless her soul she's so nice she was like guys this is so amazing let's ramp this up so that we can do it at every school in the district so that it's a district wide thing and none of the kids have heavy backpacks and not a single other parent signed up to help her yeah. that had done it for that school not a single other one and she was like guys but the other schools need the books too and they were like oh we don't know those kids so yeah, that's the vibe I wish that we had so much money for everything else that we just were like what are we gonna do with this money you know what let's retile the gym floor like the right. fact that that was like just the because. thing and they put in they took it from like old tiles to those like kind of plasticky or squishier ones so that when children like eat shit and slide across it, it doesn't hurt as bad. <laughs> Everyone deserves that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, we've talked about science of reading a little tiny bit because we were talking about how when it started coming on the scene, we would have people coming in our comment section and being like, do not teach sight words. Like they, <laughs> they were really mad at us. And I was like, Oh my God, you guys. I think I might be a little bit of the villain because I've taught early Head Start in high school. So I have no familiarity with teaching someone how to read. Like I've no, I have no idea what even goes into that. But what I do know is that the high school kids I taught, a lot of them went through elementary when sight words was like the new hot thing. And a lot of them really, really struggled with literacy and things yeah. like that. So I have been kind of anti-sight words before, but I, like I said, know kind of nothing. So I'm very eager to hear because I believe you that it's research-based. So I'm excited <laughs> to hear about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to like explain like what it's all about? Because we have a lot of people that might not know. Yes. Okay. So it's not a curriculum. It's not something new. It is wild that for decades and decades, this has just been largely left out of the conversation, out of colleges, out of textbooks, even um, Lucy Calkins. I don't know if Emma wants to say her name. You but. are. I have. And I said I threw her book. So it's funny because I feel like I kind of lucked into getting a really good program my first year of teaching that did follow the science of reading. Like it wasn't called that back then and it wasn't popular, but the results were very clear. And I was a new teacher afraid to like mess up. So I was like following it properly while other teachers had decided to skip certain sections. And by the end of the year, the data was really clear. And I remember even my first year having really good data and people being like, oh, you must have got like the really good class, like you got lucky. And then the second year, I added on to it because I was like, wait, I could have done this faster. I could have done this better. And I started doing more research on my own. And it still wasn't called the science of reading. This is like back in like 2010. And I started getting better every year. And I kept getting told like, oh, you're getting lucky or what are you doing? And I kind of was like, oh, why am I having these results? And then I realized like, no, I was like, I'm doing this stuff every year on purpose, but it's just focusing on phonics, which seems wild to say like, hey, teach kids letters and letter sounds, but that is what they need. You can't just read to them and they're naturally going to pick it up. But more than what the average person is doing, because I remember the first year in K, people were just teaching A through Z and then bye. And they need so much more than that.
that. And um, I've shared this story before where I remember getting them a little like decodable reader book and the word was draw. And it was like, I like to run. I like to hop. And it was like, I like to draw. And they were trying to sound out draw and they couldn't do it. And I was like, oh my goodness. They're like, at what? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't teach them the AW sound. And then when I looked up how to teach it, it was like AW. AU says that, and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't teach that. And then I started looking up more phonics skills to teach them. And yes, it was kindergarten. This was just so outrageous to some people like, oh, that's too much. Cause I would share about it back then. And it was like, what are you doing? Like they're in I feel like now like, we make kindergartners pop off at least Florida kindergartners. They have them doing like quadratic equations and shit. Some of it's too much, but some of it is like they can handle and at least let them get exposed to it yeah. because the ones that can get it can get it. And the other ones at least know that it's a thing. And they'll get it when they get it. The girls that right. get it, get it. And the girls that don't will get it in first grade. Exactly. And it spirals. Because <laughs> if they don't get it on the first pass, they're coming back. Right. You're still making it fun. It's still kindergarten centered and sand and magnets and Play-Doh and all of that stuff. But you're just teaching them these meaningful sounds. But then you can't just be focused on sounds because phonemic awareness is the thing that everyone used to love to skip. But I feel like it's like the hot, sexy new thing now of like, hey, everybody focus on sounds and phonemic awareness. I think my former students were in that generation where they skipped the phonemic awareness because the thing that drove me crazy is whenever they would encounter a word that they did not know, they would just skip it. Because that was a strategy. I was going to say that, Naomi. Yes. And I literally like wanted to like bang my head against the wall because my instinct when I don't know a word is to try and sound it out and see if it looks like a word that I've seen before. So I remember I was trying to teach them words like socioeconomic. I was like, you don't know what that means, but if you look at the parts of it, you can kind of figure out what it means. And they were like, oh, we just skip words when we don't know them. That's what you're supposed to do. And then try and guess what it means. Because fully, that's the thing. That's the strategy. (laughs) that my teacher taught me. (laughs) But then like it would drive me crazy because like by the time they get to high school using exclusively that strategy would be so they'd be so behind that they'd only know half the words. So they'd skip like half the words and then just come up with their own meaning. And I was like, right. Or look at a picture and take a wild guess. I'm glad to hear that the skipping the words was the strategy because I was literally I was like, why are you all like, why do all of you do it? I felt like an alien. I was editing that episode back and I was like, oh, I should have told because I had wanted to say to you that exact thing that Naomi just said and I just let you be baffled yeah. in that episode. Like, people had resources where it's like Skippy the frog and it was like jump over the word if you don't know it. No. Skippy needs to lay down. Read the word. <laughs> lay down the frog. My first year teaching I had this whole it was like um, on rings and you could flip the strategy that you were teaching that day and like put it at your small group station. But that was popular. It's what everyone was doing. It's yeah. what everyone had been doing. It's what admin suggested for you when there's research to say please don't do this stuff but then so phonemic awareness like that is the stuff that I nerd out on because it is like teaching kids how to isolate sounds like say the word dog what's the first sound the middle sound the ending sound what does it rhyme with what's another word that starts with that sound you know segment the sounds break them apart put them back together and all of that literally changes their brains like there are scans they took scans from readers from the beginning middle and end of the year and the area of their brain changes I like, uh. like I was talking um when I was presenting and I was like this is brain changing work like you are changing students brains so for one it's going to take time because you're growing a part of the brain that does not exist unless you work on these skills. So you can be saying the sounds for as I'm sure you know, like you're like sounding out words to the kids and you're like, dog. And they're like, jump, frog. Yes, and like, yeah. Can you hear me? And they really can. <laughs> you're like, blend. blend. Yes. And you're like, let's try that again. But that part of their brain does not exist. And they really can't hear the sound until that area in their brain 
gross. This is so fucking validating. This is so crazy to hear that like research is defending what I picked up on vibes. Yes. Because I would have kids who like, and I had a lot of kids who had gone to schools in other countries. So like in terms of like abilities, like they were all all over the map. I would never say this to them, obviously, but I would go home and I'd be like, some of them are just like, it's clicking and it's going. And even if they don't know it, they're picking it up. And then some of them, it seems like no matter how I'm breaking down these words to them, it's just like not landing. Wow. And I didn't know this brain research until a few years ago, but I was I was like, no, it's like, it's this, these little funky little skills, like segmenting sounds. I was like, it's something about this in particular that is helping them read better. And then when I learned about it, I was like, yes, I knew it. I knew that this was like the magic piece. I just didn't know why. But yeah, it changes a part of their brain that was evolved to function a different way. Also, so, you know, students do a lot of like letter reversals when they're younger. And the part of the brain that we now use to read that grows bigger when we do phonemic awareness was used for being able to recognize an object, whether you were hanging upside down or seeing it from the left side or the right side or oh. reflection. So that area is for reversals. So when you grow and practice it, reversals will get reduced. Unless like, of course, the student um, has some sort of like learning disability. Right. The way that we're giving our students access to reading now, it unlocks literally everything. It does. It's so beautiful too. Like the beginning of the year to the end of the year. When I'm talking to parents, I'm like, it's like magic because they'll come up to me and be like, they're reading. Last night they were reading. And I was like, I know. Isn't that the coolest thing you've ever heard? I also wanted to go back because I'm like extremely irritated that people said to you that oh you just got lucky oh how do you keep getting so lucky I'm like don't you discredit Naomi I know it's like, I'm doing this on purpose yes yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of freaking work too but then I was like oh well I'm new but then I was like no I do know what I'm doing like I am a good reading teacher and I am doing this on purpose year after year and getting better every year and pinpointing exactly what it is that's working so I feel validated now yes you should <laughs> with the science of reading I was like heck yeah, yeah. you're like look it's their brain I get irritated because people do the same thing with like my relationship building in my classes. They're like, oh, every year you have a class. It's like super tight and super emotionally. Re- like, do you know how much SEL we it's do? It's on purpose, right? Do you know that we do circle three times a day sometimes? Like, It didn't start like this and it could have been different. Like this could have been your class. I could have done the same thing with yeah. your students. I would always get the same thing on the relationships, but they would say it was because I was young. They were like, oh, the kids just like you so much because you're young. And I think that's definitely a factor, but I was like, okay, well, there's other young teachers that they hate. So I don't think that that is the only factor at play here. Yeah, anything to discredit the teachers. <laughs> yeah, I would get something similar from my students because in Florida, my school was pretty diverse, but in Denver, I was the only black teacher. And this year I was the only black teacher. And they'd be like, oh, well, it's because like you look like them or you look like you could be their mom. And, and I'm like, no, that's not it. I, I don't scream at them all day long. And we work on, like we have, I have systems in place to specifically build relationships. And same as you, we'll have a little meeting service I'm like, we should be doing math right now, but y'all aren't going to pay attention because there's big issues going on. We have to get this type first and then it'll set us up for success for the rest of the school year. So absolutely. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a little problematic, but it's also like true because you can't, if you don't have that base, they're not, you're not going to learn anything. I mean, that part of it, I'm just like, yeah, you can't. Unless you're yeah. unless you're regulated. I mean, if I'm even thinking about I need to go get a drink of water, I'm not going to learn anything because I'm going to sit there and just think about that for the right. first 20 I minutes. I mean, like when you're five, right, yeah. that's like times 20.
when did you decide to start doing Teachers Pay Teachers? Like, how did you decide to turn what you already were doing into like stuff that other teachers could do too? I've always been just like really creative and I always like making stuff. Even when I was an intern, I would make worksheets that had the kids' names on it because they never had like their names. It was always like Beth and right. Mark and Chad. So I was like, let me put my students' names on these worksheets and I would make stuff for my team. Like my second year, I was the team leader. So I would make stuff that had all of our students' names on it. And someone at my school was like, you need to get on this website. You're always making this stuff. You should put it on there. And I was like, that seems silly. And I waited like a whole other year and I was like, okay, let me check this thing out. And then I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And I actually did very well my first year. And I was like, whoa, this is actually like a legitimate business for me where it's like making the same as I make in the classroom. So I was like, I am willing to like put time into this and it's stuff that I'm using in my classroom. So it's like, chances are if I need it, someone else needs it too. And boy, did I. If you look up Read Like a Rockstar on Teachers Pay Teachers. It is so cute, but functional too. I can pick your your worksheets out of a lineup. Aesthetics are very, very important. Right. I was like, it looks good. I was like, but it's also very useful. But it's functional, clear, succinct. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think a lot of people think that making stuff cutesy is a waste of time. And it's really not because it just makes the vibes so much better and so much more enjoyable and approachable. And font matters. Especially with reading because the, if the letters look weird yes we do a, a thing I'll give them like a sheet of paper and they'll have to find the letter in different typefaces and fonts because oh that's important yep. um, if they're engaging with the world I mean I can't control what everybody has on the wall so like the G is often the fancy G that just looks wildly different to them they're like that's not the same letter so that helps but it's yeah when you're teaching like you can't have a random lowercase i in there even though very cute but not the vibes for, for instruction yes, that's intentional yeah. yeah exactly yeah so how did your colleagues in your school react were they already doing science of reading or did you bring it to them it was interesting because LAUSD did offer science of reading training and letters training and OG and I was like oh yes but it's all on your own time after school like none of it was built built into in-school PD. And in Florida or um, even in Denver, there were school-wide initiatives and it was a part of PD where we were already just paid to be there. Um, it was an extra stuff outside of work, which you shouldn't have to do, period. But then it's even harder just when you have other stuff going on. I'm like, I have kids. I have homework to do. I don't have time to log in and do all of this extra stuff that is necessary for the students. So I don't understand why it's not mandatory. So right. this is probably the school that I worked at that had the most vets ever that were, I think, just very set in their ways and not in a way where they were trying to um, not teach students properly. Like they're just like, I've been doing this for years and this works mindset mm -hmm. and kind of just unwilling to even take a look at it and see what was different and see what could be shifted. Unfortunately, I was able to, I asked the principal at the beginning of the year if I could run like a reading PD. I was like, I have resources I'll share because I saw their data. My son was actually going to come to my school because it would have been so much easier commute wise. But the first school meeting, I saw their data and I was like, oh my goodness, my child cannot come here. That's so awkward. Like you're in your employment meeting and you're like really quick. I need to talk to the registrar. It's going to take two <laughs> seconds. That's what totally happened. unrelated. You're like, I just found out completely unrelated information that makes me need to switch his school. Nothing to do with 
what you just showed me at all. Not definitely not that. I actually got hired to work for TK for the school. And then a few days before school started, they switched me to second grade because of TK enrollment. And I was like, oh my goodness, I just love kinder and first grade. And she was like, well, it's going to feel like kindergarten because that's the level that all of them are at. And I was like, mm. you're like, awesome. Is that supposed to be a selling point? I know. <laughs> it definitely was like that. It was really like hard and it was frustrating and you feel sad for them. And then it just makes you feel frustrated at the system because we're like, this didn't have to be this way for so many of these kids. And I put in so much work. Like this was my most rewarding year, but also the hardest, most tiring, most exhausting year for everything I had to put in to get my students to where they got. And then it was just sad. Like it's great growth, but then it was just sad because it was like, y'all had this potential this whole time and you did not have to make it this far, not knowing how to read. And I haven't been in second grade since 2014. So almost 10 years. And I just forget like how old they are and mature they are. And a lot of them were really sad and embarrassed that they couldn't read and they were in second grade. Like they were well aware that they were behind grade level and they'd be like, am I going to make it to third grade? Am I going to be able to read when I'm a grown up? And I'm like, yes. Like, I was like, you are so lucky. I was like, you have the best reading teacher. I was like, I do research on this all the time. I was like, I was like, Miss O'Brien will never waste your time. Anything I ask you to do is going to help your brain. So make sure you're doing it. And they were like, you're really right. Like, you really are a good reading teacher. Um, and then just when it started to click for some of them, even as early as November, and you're like, y'all could have been doing this since kindergarten. I had like, I have 23 kids and about seven of them left above grade level. Slay. Yeah. But I'm like, how much further could they have been? Because they could have already come in above grade level. They could have been pushed even more instead of just getting this instruction right now. So just the vocabulary, comprehension. I also have a, my schools like um, a very large ELL community and working on vocabulary, like explicit vocabulary. Like that's another part of science of reading that I feel like gets swept under the rug. But tier two vocabulary is so important to just be explicit and direct about and teach every single day and have strong routines in place. So it was a tough year and there weren't always the best practices is going on. Um, but I, I did my best. Like, I feel like you already being the only black teacher, you have kind of a target on your back and you don't want to ruffle too many feathers or be that person. But then I also felt like I was constantly like questioning practices or asking for more. But there were, there were a few teachers that I became like close with that wanted to do better that would come and ask me questions. So I was like, I'll just speak to the people that want to change or that like see my data. I feel like after the first Dibbles assessment, people were kind of like, oh, wait, what are you doing? And like, how are you doing this? So I'm like, yes, I would love to share. So that was cool to, even though I'm not returning next year, to like leave that impact and kind of set the tone of like what is possible. Because I think for some teachers, especially in Title One, like I've only worked in Title One because they are poor, because they are kids of color, they're like, well, these scores make sense. You know, it's supposed to be low. Their parents can't read. So why would they read? Or their families don't value education, like all the stereotypes. Or they don't do their homework at night. Because, right. Which yeah. research shows which we know even make a difference. Who cares? Literally zero. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think it's easy for them to like, they would put up the data and I would just be appalled and nobody else would really bat an eye. And I'm like, this should make all of us want to cry. And then you've been here for 20 years. This is sad that this is the historical data here. And you don't think the kids can do any better. That's why they're not doing any better. So. I had literally the exact same experience. I taught at a school that had very bad data and it had very bad data historically. And everyone was just kind of like, oh, well, that's to be expected. And what they would always say is it's very 
transitional school because a lot of the kids would go there for six months, then switch to a different school. Like, so they were like, it's just the name of the game. And I kind of came from a very different environment. I was used to an academic of environment where you're expected to be the best and anything less is your fault and you need to try harder. And so I was very, I don't want to say intense, but like I had high expectations of my students. And my first year, my data was 30% higher than the rest of the school for my subject area. Because I was like, I'm not going to look at a kid. And when they say, oh, I got a 45, I'm not going to be like, that's great. That's the best you could do. You're a 17 year old. I'm going to tell you, you can do better than that. Right. I've gotten like very fortunate. I might second year of teaching was when I went into a school that I just really valued the way that they did professional development because it was very relevant to not only like our population, but recent research-based best practices. Like they were on it with research. And one thing that they would talk to us about a lot in like almost everything that we would do is the idea of deficit mindset, which comes into play so often in Title I schools. And a lot of people, like especially in comment sections on TikTok, will be like, oh, Title I kids or whatever. And I'm like, right. oh, like my babies? Thing. I know yeah. you're not talking about my babies. But the it, it's so prevalent, this deficit mindset of like these students in this population cannot achieve at such and such a mm-hmm. level because and just like there's so many circumstances that people throw under that umbrella but the reality is that if you set high expectations your students will meet them with your support academic and behavior yep Mm -hmm. they expect them to act a certain way so they let it happen and just suspend them or kick them out of the classroom or I had a teacher this year at the beginning of the year, be like, oh, do you have so-and-so on your list? La, 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 la. He cannot learn. Like, just she said, she's like, he can't learn. He can't learn. He just can't learn. How could a teacher think such a thing? And it's like, how do you say that? Um, And then another one, like, oh, let me see your list. Oh, well, this one's going to be a problem. This one's going to be a problem. And at any time she would ask me, I'm like, no, I love him. No, he's he's great. He's fantastic. He's thriving. He's doing fantastic. And it was really sad. But I also hope that it like kind of set an expectation with the parents because some of the first conferences, um, like I had to have a translator for most of them. And the mom, she was crying, talking to the translator. And he's, I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Like, what what did I do or something? And she was saying like, the reports she got last year were just like, horrible. And she was so scared to come in to talk to me to find out what her son was doing, like throwing chairs under the table, all this stuff. And I'm like, no, he would never do that in my classroom. And I'm not saying he didn't ever do it. I was like, but what was the environment that allowed him to do that or made him feel the need to act out in that way where he couldn't express himself or didn't learn how to calm down or regulate himself at school? And I'm like, that just doesn't happen in my classroom. And it's not because I let anything go. It's because of the relationships and the culture that I cultivate with my students on purpose. But just so many of them were like, wow, like the students are so different than last year. And I get that comment all the time. Like I had a first grader once even say, I was so bad last year. He's like, I guess I'm just good now. And I'm like, you were not bad last year. I love children. They're like, I was a shit last year. That was crazy. Was like, I guess I'm just good. And I'm like, no, buddy. Like it wasn't you. were you. never bad. Yeah. And even his mom, no. she used to spank him because of the reports he Baby, would get. Baby, no. Like, He's doing amazing. I've never had a kid have the growth that this child had. Like it was such a success story for behavior and academic. And the mom was like, wow. Like, Emotional safety and relationship building. Their fifth grade teacher was just sending me um, information and pictures the other day. And like, they're about to leave the elementary school. And she's like, he did so well. He's like top of the class. And I'm like, the path that he was on, though, was not that. And I was like, and it's sometimes it's the teachers. And I was like, I know it's unpopular to like blame the teachers. And there's so much on our plates. But there is a lot of responsibility that I feel like we do need to take and do better with. Ignorance cannot be an excuse. When we're working in schools with so many different types of students, you need to have a foundation of trauma-informed practices in general. And a lot of people will be like, oh, especially if you're in Title I. And I'm like, also everywhere. Yep. 
everyone deals with trauma. Every child. Everyone's traumatized. Everyone. And it's mm-hmm. so critical to like look through that lens. And even when I was a student teacher, I had one time I said something like, oh, I think this student is just like difficult or something. And she looked at me and was like, no, you can't say that. She was like, if you think that about a kid, you will treat them differently. And it like rocked right. me. And how you approach the problem. Like you don't approach it as like someone who needs help and support. You like, you're like, uh, that child. Right. The reason I said ignorance is not an excuse is because I feel like we don't get these very crucial professional development opportunities in school. And if you do, oftentimes they're like, would you like to opt into a PD about whatever? And it's like, a lot of people aren't going to do that, but we have to kind of chase that knowledge and research ourselves because it not only helps our kids, but it helps us. It's a whole lot easier. Easier for us yeah. if we know what's going on, you know, and what how to help. I'm like, it would make your year so much better if you with a few small tweaks. Yeah. yeah. It's like so much harder for like the first month. And then after you get over the hurdle, it makes everything so much easier. And I want to commend you that I think like you were really like with this specific kid kind of able to turn the situation around for him just because from like the high school teacher perspective, I think K to third grade is so, so important. And I think it really sets the tone for how kids feel about themselves and the educational system yes. and how they interact with it. Cause I had not a similar situation, but I had a kid who like me and him just had like the same brain vibes. Like our brains kind of worked in the same way. We got distracted by the same thing. So like me and him just like vibed really well together. And I called his mom one time to tell her how much like progress he had been making. And she was bawling on the phone and like, I'm actually going to cry telling this story, but her son was 18 in 11th grade. And she said she had never gotten a positive phone call from a teacher ever. And she said every single year all I hear is that my child is terrible and causes distractions and causes problems and I've never had someone say that they liked having him in his class and like I was crying she was crying it was so much he didn't care because he was an 18 year old boy but (laughs) But no but I bet he did he didn't show it but he cared and all that stuff is so important even the way that I communicate with parents for that reason where it's like at a conference it's like I'm not going to sit here and list everything your child has done in class Um, I'm going to like here's what we're doing and here's how we can partner it's like because then the kids check out you teach them not to trust school authority to like be the people to look to for safety and academics and to help them they're like avoiding you and then I can think of so many kids where I'm like you have some layers up from the teacher before you that I have to work through oh yeah because of that other teacher and like they don't trust you at first my elopers yeah that same kid he used to run out of the classroom where he'd run and hide behind the trash can and I'm like friend come back in here I was like we have this lesson I need to get you ready for second grade so like I need you in the room and I feel like it took months for him to be like oh, you're not about to call my mom or call the principal or write me a referral. You really do care. And I'm like, I had like this little card that had steps to do like, take a breath, go get water, talk to a friend, come back to the carpet. I mean, he didn't like anyone looking at him. He'd be like, they're looking at me. So I'm like, let's not look at him. Like everyone close your eyes. Yeah. (laughs) It got easier and easier where he realized like, oh, she's not going to flip out. The redirection was just, hey, can you stop doing that? And not, you know, this huge embarrassing thing. And even at the end of the year as a first grader, he was like, I really grew a lot. He's like, remember how like I used to be at the beginning of the year? And I'm like, you really did, buddy. Like, and it's just really cool to see. And that set him up for success for the next year. Like the second grade teacher was like, you're going to love this kid. Like he's fantastic and they did and I was like imagine if it wasn't me it was somebody else that treated him like K and one and just the kid he could have been just having that positive relationship is transformative like transformative SEL like TSEL is something that I geek out about 
I wish that was a school-wide thing too, where everyone in the school, because even this child, same one, sorry, I keep talking about him, but- Oh, I love it. I have kids like that too. (laughs) He was making such good growth in my classroom, but then outside of the classroom, he would get in trouble. I was like, unfortunately, my friend, is like, you have a reputation, right? You shouldn't have to prove to these other adults. I was like, and I'll talk to them, but they're expecting you to do certain things. So they're not even giving you a chance. It's like they look for it. Exactly. Um, And I was like, and it's not fair and I will talk to them, but I was like, it's going to take a while. He's like, but I've changed. I was like, but then some people started to see it. They were like, oh, he's really mature. And I was like, he just had a teacher that believed in him. (laughs) I love when people say that about my students. And I love talking to parents. But the thing is, is like, they don't have to inherently trust us. Kids don't have to inherently trust us. Like it's earned. And people are always like, how have you never had like a really sticky situation with a parent? Like I have had parents come to me really heated. But the thing is, is I'm always like on their team. I'm like, yeah, that makes me mad too. Because it's usually about like my son or daughter is coming home saying that somebody's hitting them or something happened at recess. And a million Person. You're going to match their energy. You're going to be like, someone hit them? Tell me more. <laughs> but it's how I yeah. feel. Like, I call them for paper cuts because I don't even want to – like, your students' caregivers, their heart is walking around in your classroom. Yes. And it takes mm-hmm. a lot of trust as a parent for me to even mm-hmm. leave my daughter with my mom. Like, the stakes are that high when you're a parent. But when you're not a parent sometimes, it's, it's really hard to conceptualize. It was hard for me. But with that advice, I could understand, like, wow, what a privilege. And I have to be very careful about this. So when parents come to me, I'm like, I'm mad too. I don't want your child to feel, feel unsafe at school. Mm-hmm. I I don't want them to feel like they don't want to come to school. So we're going to sit down in my room and we're going to figure this out together. And they appreciate that. It goes such a long way. And they re- and then when you do have to come to them with something, they know that it, you're not out to get their child. You really are there to brainstorm and come up with a good solution together. Not because you dislike their kid, but because you want what's best for them. Same team. It goes such a long way. Yeah. I think that's the same thing as like, I think one of my like biggest pieces of advice about teaching is like, the more you work in the first month of school, the easier the rest of the year will be. Like, I think it's better just to like literally work like 14 hours a day for like two weeks. And then it's usually smooth sailing after that because it's awful when the first contact you have is negative with a parent. Even if something negative happens, I'm not going to report it before I like <laughs> talk to something good. I was like, like I can't do it I yet. don't. I don't know how bad it would have to be for me to be like, hi, nice to meet you. Um, like- Your first contact should not be a venting session about why you basically don't like their kid. And a lot of people don't it's, get that. And it's hard, especially like for teachers of upper grades where you have like a hundred plus students. I would always try and identify like who I was like, okay, your vibe could potentially ruin my vibe just based on like our first couple of days interaction. So let me introduce myself to your mom and dad before anything bad happens, just preemptively, because I know I can't call all 150 people on week one. And as for tips, I'm like, any tips on helping them be more successful uh-huh. in class? I'm like, you know your child. You're the I've expert. known them for a cumulative of 45 minutes. So I'm here to learn. But they really are sending their best. Like that's like yeah, that yes. annoying kid. Like this is their whole world. It's their baby. Right. And you have to view them through those same lenses. I was like, I love my students. I love my students. And then after became a mom I'm like saw them in a whole different light it's a whole I'm like, new I ball wish game. somebody would talk to my child the way that I can hear through these walls and it just made me advocate even more like I would open someone's door like do you need help oh yeah are you okay yeah <laughs> speaking of best practices for students I initially reached out to you because I really want to talk about like 
why people push back so heckin' much on research-based stuff. And it started with Common Core because I love number sense. But like you started off talking about science of reading, it's not a curriculum. And people really mix that up. Like, oh, I hate this Common Core, this new math. I feel like science of reading is the new Common Core. Right. They're like, oh, it's a new trend. Stick around long enough and you'll see the new thing. It's like, but we don't want this to go away. Like there have been a lot of things that have come and gone sure, but a lot of wrong things. Like this one needs to stick around. I was like, this one should have been there. It's not new. No. It just wasn't the most popular thing because that's not where people were putting their money into. Like it was done like this on purpose. And now it has a snappy name. That's the other thing. I think the snappy names are the death of us. It's just best practices. Just do what's best. Research it yourself. Go like look up the best way to teach reading and why this way is more effective than this way. And I think that's the thing is that yes, some kids can learn how to read the other way, but not 95% of Mm. the students. Like that's the most effective way. Why would you not want to do the most effective way? And people are so just against anything new and they always are like, well, I learned to read this way. And it's like, okay, well, you're reading at an eighth grade level and you're 42. So maybe that's not the magic solution. When I think back to like the reactions my colleagues have had about certain things, I think so much of it is fear-based of like losing control. Because I think when I was going through school in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was very like students, you sit down, you receive direct instruction, Mm -hmm. you get water when I say you get water and you get up when I say you get up. And if you're crying, suck it up. I'll give you something to cry about. Like that was kind of the vibe. So top to bottom school is just different now. And I think it's easier to teach when you're teaching standard algorithm or sight words or something that's very direct and not differentiable. Just memorize this thing. Yeah, Yeah, you do or you don't. And I think any practice in your classroom, there's a lot of workload up front. And that's kind of scary to teachers to be like, oh man, teaching is already hard. And now I have to learn or do more. Mm -hmm. But it does help in the long run. It's a long game. And then I think like, it's not even just more because you're taking a lot of things off the plate to make room for the right thing. You know, like there's a lot of stuff you can stop doing completely. Yeah, and you should. And then just start doing this. I did have one teacher, a kindergarten teacher at my school that she went to like the letters training and then she was like, oh, I started following you. I'm using this resource. And throughout the year, she would check in and she was like, this is the most fun that I've had in a while. She's like, they're learning, they're getting it. She's like, it's so cool to see, but she was the only kindergarten teacher following it. And I was like, oh, your kids are going to be like so awesome. But she was just like, this is the most growth I've seen in like over a decade. Like she had never seen the students at the school do this well. And it's like, so I hope when the other teachers see that, that they realize it was the same group of kids. It's from the same communities. A lot of them are newcomers to the country, but guess what? They can learn how to read. Stop using all your, you know, biases against them to justify basically like you're not up to par teaching. Like, and no one wants to hear that to be like, wait, is it me? Is it my instructional practices and I feel like that's not questioned enough or taken on enough of like dang what do I need to change and I'm like I know I'm a good reading teacher and I still look up stuff all the time and I make tweaks every year to get better and I'm already having good data lifelong learners we all should be like that like I think like my husband's in the medical field the way they treated this certain liver thing like three years ago he's like it's wild that we don't do this anymore now we do this because it was causing the heart to do this we need to constantly be evolving as research comes out and things are more clear like why are we still doing the same things we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago when we have the research to say not to do that. I also think part of that comes from like over the last couple decades, teachers have been kind of deprofessionalized in my opinion. Like a lot of states have like lowered barriers of entry to become a teacher. The pay is like not being kept up with inflation and all those things. And I think a lot of teacher 
teachers, especially newer teachers, they feel like an employee, not a professional. And when you feel like an employee and not a professional, it's hard to get in a headspace where you're taking agency over your own development and your own improvement because you don't feel like your opinion is, especially teachers that are only getting scripted curriculum, I could see where you wouldn't think to be doing this research and doing these things because you're not really empowered by the system to be like, no, this is your classroom. You need to know what's best for your students and you need to put skin in this game. You're not just showing up here and reading this script that we've provided you. And I think the teacher turnover rate is contributing to that. I could see that for sure. I, my school in Denver, where I was for six years, we had no curriculum. Like the principal, the new principal that came in, got rid of it and was like, here's the standards, teach the standards, build your own units. If you need money to supplement with this resource or that resource, but we're not just following any one thing, we're doing best practices. And that scared a lot of teachers. But he was like, get on the train or get out of the way, because this is what we're doing to like raise the scores in our school. And we did it and it was awesome. Um, It was just the coolest thing to be a part of. I grew so much because I was like, I know the standards like the back of my hand now. I know the standard before the next standard so I can differentiate in my classroom. And we had to be really skilled in our practice. And I feel like that's not even sold to us when you want to become a teacher, especially when you see stuff on movies, like the kindergarten teacher, the first grade teacher, they're just doing arts and crafts all day. And it looks like it's all fun and games, which it can be a lot of fun, but you also need to know your stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you really are setting them up for failure for the rest of their lives. Like if they go off to second and third grade with this really poor reading, like they're going to be three years behind their peers by the time they're in fifth grade. And then what fifth grade teacher knows basic foundational skills so well that they can remediate a fifth grader while still teaching fifth grade material and move them on to middle school. And then the middle school teachers, like I hear from middle school teachers all the time that use my stuff because they have sixth graders that don't know how to decode simple books that like a first grader could read. And it's like, we have to do better in like K through two and take it more seriously because it really is like teachers like, oh, they'll get it next year. What's the big deal? Oh, that's my pet peeve. It is. I even saw a news story about a ninth grade English teacher doing phonics because the kids were so, so behind. And I think it's when you have the attitude of, oh, they'll get it next year. I'm not paid enough. This isn't as important, whatever, like the kind of lackadaisicalness around it. It just gets so much worse every single year. And then like I have taught 12th graders who are not literate. Yeah. And it's sad. And it's so easy for them to get to that point because they're just being passed off from person to person to person. And if everyone has that kind of same attitude, it's never going to get better. And they're just like, oh, well, yeah. And I feel like so many times, like I worked at schools where when the third through fifth grade scores on state testing wasn't good, they got put in kinder through second. And it was like, you need your strong teachers in kinder and first grade to set them up for success. Because even in kinder, my first two years were in kinder. And then I went up to second grade. So we got, I got some of my students that I had in kindergarten my first year and we were a really tight team. It was eight of us at the school. And just based on who their teacher was in first grade, like even though we set up some of those kids so well in kindergarten, by second grade, they were so behind. And it was like, what happened last year? Like my principal had a meeting once where she was like, first grade is looking like kindergarten and kindergarten is looking like first grade. What is going on? And first grade was just doing whatever they wanted, like being basic, doing crafts. And it's like, mm-hmm. the crafts are cool, but we also have to be super meaningful, especially when you're in a population that has like so much against them like we have to be stronger in our skills and want to be better like you said like take it upon yourself to want to be better be like the strong professional that you are people that I have talked to or have experience with just don't do that or they don't realize how serious 
it really is. Like you're ruining their lives by being that teacher that's like, whatever, I don't know that stuff. I don't have time to look into it. Then don't teach in kinder first or second grade because those two those years are too important for you to be messing up. Like get out of the way for someone that knows how to teach reading. You're going to pass that off to the first grade teacher. And then if the first grade teacher then has to pass it off to the second grade teacher, that's how we end up with this like backlog of students that have just fallen through the cracks. I feel like it's dramatic when I'm like, you're ruining their lives. And I'm like, no, but like you, you literally really are, are ruining their lives. Like chances are they will never catch up. They just like won't. I have had to, like if for anyone that says like you're being dramatic, I have had to help a teenager with their application to Publix because they did not have the reading skills to fill out the application on their own. Which is why we have Common Core because so many kids were graduating and they couldn't do they couldn't read college textbooks. They couldn't apply to jobs. They couldn't read manuals in the military. So we redid everything starting from college and went back saying, what do they need in 12th grade to be ready? What do they need in 11th grade? And yes, it raised things up a little bit, but it was needed. When I was learning it in college, I was like, that is next level amazing. It got rolled out, I think my first or second year of teaching and all the other teachers were like, oh my gosh, this new dumb thing. And I was like, this sounds great to me. Um, But I didn't know any different, but I was like, no, this is great. Like we have a structure now. Like we know like this, you're going to do this in this grade. You're going to do this in this grade. You, You have a roadmap to loosely follow and you know what kids are supposed to know before they leave you. But just not everyone sees it that way. I think it's such like a an interesting dance because I think like it's a spectrum of like how rigid we want to be versus how like loosey-goosey trust the teacher. And I think like it's somewhere in the middle. Like we've been saying, like you have to have the teacher with the agency and the professionalism and all of that. But we also do need to have like parameters and marks and to figure out where the kids are and to have standardized goals for abilities and things like that. Like I think a lot of people are so quick to be like, standardized testing is awful. We shouldn't have common core. Like it's so easy to go there, but then like be for reals right now. Like we need something. Like it can't just be like, we hire the teacher and we trust you, girly. You got this. Teach them kids. <laughs> Stuff like No Child Left Behind kind of got it a little convoluted and they started- they left a lot of kids behind. <laughs> they left all the kids. And they started just shutting down schools based on their standardized testing data. It's like, we have gone too far in the other direction. Yeah, you're like a bit of an We don't want to have nothing, but let's let's meet somewhere in the middle to be like, that's informative. But it's, it's that constant thing with education where it's like always something new, but always something to fight for, fight against. And I do think that signs of reading should be here to stay. Yeah, I'm excited that more people are talking about it. Me too. And people thinking that, oh, we can't start in TK or kindergarten. You can. You can. They can handle it. You can start it. at birth. You can start literacy. Yeah, you, can. you can start literacy yes. encouragement from birth. Like just the exposure. It's like you're not expecting like a three-year-old to read a chapter book, but just that exposure is so important for their brains. We know this, so why not just immerse them in it in a playful way? Like obviously in an age-appropriate way, you're not like sitting down and drilling letters with them, but you're exposing them you're to like, it. Let's read Beowulf. That's your bedtime story. We're going <laughs> to read one chapter per night. What a <laughs> reference. I haven't heard that word in Beowulf. so long. <laughs> I tried to think of the book in school that I hated the absolute most. Oh, gosh. I don't even think we had that in my high school. Remember we read it in ninth grade and my teacher would read it aloud and we would have to that follow along and then I would cheat on all the quizzes and I just remember wanting to die every day. <laughs> oh my gosh, Naomi, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a great conversation. I feel like I could like sit and geek out with you for a very long time. Yes. 
And our early education people have been like, I would love something for lower elementary on the podcast. And here you are, everyone. This is for us. You're welcome. Yes. It's so important. I love hearing, like Frazzo said this before, I love hearing like someone who really knows research validate my conclusions that were just based on vibes. Yeah. Like everything that I had just kind of anecdotally Did you listen to the Soul to Story podcast? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. As I was listening to it, I was like, this is great, but why is this groundbreaking? Like, this is stuff that I've been knowing, like, duh, like what? But yeah, I'm like, the research says, is like, start stuff as early as three, phonological awareness. Like, why not? Like, I sing the alphabet and I would sing letter sounds to my son, my two-year-old all the time. Because why not? Like, why wait for them to fail? Like, why would you wait for them to start school? See if the school's actually going to teach it properly. And then by the time you realize there's an issue, it's too late. And they're two, three years behind the earlier, the better. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Teacher Quit Talk. Thanks for teaching and quitting and talking. Next week we're doing Patreon submissions episodes. So uh, pay $4 and you can send us a story. We love you. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.